Hello, and welcome to the NPRD podcast with nurse practitioner and registered dietitian Robin Kivit. Eating disorders, body image, medicine, they are all interconnected. But with so many programs, techniques, and advice to choose from, it's easy to be overwhelmed. Robin, with more than 25 years of experience as a nurse practitioner and registered dietitian, offers help and hope for everyone, families, children, and adults. Along with veteran talk show host and good friend, Jordan Rich, Robin invites you to learn much more right here on the NPRD podcast. So it's May. Welcome to the next edition of the NPRD. We are very fortunate to have friend and colleague Sandra Klemmer on today. Welcome. Thank you, Robin. Sandy is a yoga teacher and nutritionist. She works with individuals to mobilize newfound clarity towards greater purpose and joy. I love that. Sandy graduated from Tufts University and she received her master's from BU. She spent many years working in clinical nutrition at Mass General Hospital and transitioned to private practice to focus on working with folks with eating disorders. And she describes her approach to nutrition as promoting a paradigm shift from the dispiriting model of dieting and health materialism to an empowering model premised on intuition and self-compassion. One thing I love about Sandy is she walks the walk and she talks the talk. And she has been in practice as a yogi for 20 years, correct? Yeah. So what what did I leave out that would be helpful for an introduction? Um, Thank you, Robin. That was beautiful. Um, I don't think you left anything out. I think that was, I think that says it. Yeah, I get to work in two realms. I have my feet in two two pools, um, although I feel very related uh, of yoga and also the world of nutrition and, and healing. So I like to tell our listeners how we met, how I've met our, you know, the guests that I have on. And we met planning a seminar within what we used to call the Mass Dietetic Association, which is now the Massachusetts Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. And you very um, creatively put together, I think it was two speakers. I know- Your memory is better than mine. I I know the date exactly because my son was taking a big exam that day. So I, I just have it so cemented in my head. And we got to know each other planning this, and you had brought on Joan Salch Blake and May Musk. Yes, 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 it was yep. those two. Yeah. Yep, doing a media seminar for, you know, dietitians who were interested in pursuing that. So that's how we met. And then we've kept in touch, shared patience. I got to see you again for a longer period of time for a Yoko weekend, I guess. Yeah, I think that was a yoga workshop. Um, was that yeah, with Raghunath? Yeah, with Raghunath. Yep. Yeah. One of my teachers, yeah. So what I want to start with today, because of these two places that you practice in, you know, work in, is what is, these are two big questions, so we may talk about them the entire time, but what is yoga to you? And then how have yogis as you've studied 
yoga thought about bodies which one should we start with first I think what is yoga to you maybe yeah and and honestly before I I enter into the realm of of thinking about or sharing or talking about any of this material um, what's always most important to me is to be able to take a moment just to give really deep gratitude and appreciation to all of my teachers Um, And if you're listening to this, maybe you can Mm. even take a moment just to um, send out some appreciation for anybody that's been a a guide or a role model or somebody that's been patient to you, Um, because I really, I really benefited from that grace and that patience. So when I am thinking about the term yoga, um, and this is something I I practice personally, I identify as a yogi, bhakti is really my my spiritual Mm. and religious orientation. and I also study it academically. And so I recently finished a, an academic program as well. So when I use the word yoga, what I'm really thinking about is this whole psycho-spiritual system, not just the poses. And so even though nowadays we think about, you know, drop-in yoga classes, um, yoga really is meant to be a, a whole culture, a whole spiritual culture. Um, and so historically, poses were not central or even necessarily part of yoga at all. And that doesn't mean that they're not valuable or that there isn't a connection. That's just a much longer story. But I do think that there's such an opportunity here and that we can be, um, you know, cautious about reinforcing this notion that yoga is synonymous with poses or limited to to physical poses. Um, Because then we start to isolate the, the, uh, poses in the physical practice away from the greater philosophical framework and the greater spiritual values and the, the higher goals of yoga. And so I think it's really important to understand this Indian-born tradition um, in its own context, rather than kind of stopping at a place or, or imposing our own modern influences onto our lens of understanding. Then, you know, what happens is unknowingly we start reinterpreting yoga and yoga has always evolved and always changed but before we start doing that i think we do need to understand it in its context um and so if we're thinking really broadly and yoga has been many things over history it has certainly changed and evolved but if we're thinking really broadly we could say something like that yoga is this uh, systematic approach to train the mind and the body Uh, It's a way to overcome the entanglements of the mind and body in order to experience our essential nature, in order to uh, rest in our own consciousness towards some higher purpose. And so this could be to to get control of our minds, to experience love, uh, to experience divine connection, um, and really ultimately to get more free, just Mm -hmm. to be able to lessen our suffering um, you know, and, and our minds are wild. They'll yank us in every direction. They'll take us high, they'll take us low. Right. And we, Mm -hmm. we suffer from that as a result of that, we have anxieties and worries and stresses and anger and fear. Uh, and that's the same as it was, you know, at the origins of of this tradition 2,500 years ago, that this is where the, the teachings are so, timeless, um, that they understood that our, our mind can be a pretty toxic place. Um, but if I train it, it can also be incredibly helpful. Um, and so we can start to cultivate awareness of our mental states and our reactions, um, in such a way that we can 
really rest into ourselves, land within ourselves and, and um, understand who we really are or remember who we really are is a better way to say that. I love all this rich history. This is so inclusive of how you practice. I know there's a separation, right? You know, you're not necessarily sharing bhakti directly with your eating disorder patients, but there's so much crossover. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, my, my clients certainly know my, my relationship to yoga. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not hidden. It's on my website. Um, but it's not directly, uh, part of the, the way that I generally work with clients or think about things with clients, although it's the entire framework and reference point that I have in my right. own experience and in my own body. Um, and that's profoundly helpful, you know, and I guess I, I was thinking about coming on today and kind of how can this be be helpful to providers? And I think the more perspective that we can have on things, you know, take it or leave it, but just the more buried perspectives and insights and looking at things from different angles, the more of that we can have, the better. And it kind of creates this whole prism that um, we can hopefully, you know, integrate into our own experience as humans, as providers, and then have that, um, that reference point within ourselves to understand. Because if we're hoping that clients are able to untangle themselves from, from the mind and untangle themselves from, you know, uh, identifying as their external body and to really get to know who they are at their core, then we as providers also need to have some kind of reference point for that. Um, you know, and if it's okay, I'll share, I'll share a quick story that I think is, is helpful to understanding what yoga is. It's a great one. And I think it goes back to uh, a bhakti poet named Agradas and in India, in the Himalayas, there's there's the musk deer, which are actually the deer that uh, the musk fragrance comes from. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have to kill them for it, but it's extracted from some glands within these deer. These uh, deer, when they start to secrete this, um, this substance, this absolutely intoxicating, blissful scent comes out and they start to kind of sniff around and think, oh my gosh, what is that great smell? It's blissful. It's intoxicating. Where is that coming from? And so they'll kind of look around and look at each other and then they'll start to go a little further and, and they'll start to actually run all over the mountainside looking for this, uh, just bliss, this absolute joy that they are, that they are, that they are smelling, that they are taking in. And until they actually collapse with fatigue, and get still and settle, that's the moment when they actually realize that that uh, bliss is coming from themselves. And so the metaphor here is that as humans, Mm, we tend to be constantly, we're seeking happiness externally, right? So we will chase happiness through our body. We'll chase happiness through our clothing. We'll chase it through, you know, listening to the right music, going to the right restaurant, uh, getting the right job, the right partner, more degrees, more credentials, um, whatever, the way we eat, right? Whatever it might be. And that's an endless path um, that we're not going to find enduring lasting happiness from those external things. It'll in fact leave us exhausted. And it's not until we can actually get still 
and be with ourselves, that we can maybe start to have some insight that true happiness and this bliss is actually within us. And so this is the premise of yoga of how do we reduce the suffering caused by this misunderstanding caused by chasing our happiness externally um, so that we can ultimately have a more authentic relationship with ourselves so that we can ultimately remember who we really are and, and what our true nature is. Um, and, you know, to finish that out, I guess the, the way the yogis would describe our true nature or consciousness or soul or whatever word you want to put there um, is uh, with three qualities of sat, chit, and ananda. Mm -hmm. And they say that those are the qualities of who we are. You don't have to do anything to deserve them. It's just who you are. And what those things mean is that who we really are is sat. It is uh, steady and eternal and true. Uh, chit, so that we are inherently full of wisdom. And ananda, that we are also inherently full of bliss and joy and love. But we get confused and there's a lot of obscurations and so we often forget. And it's when we can use these practices to learn to manage our mind and understand uh, a different relationship to our body, that that's not our yeah. identity. Then we can actually drop into that place of our true soul and see that, that that's who we are, that we are steady and that we are wise and that we are by nature blissful. And that brings us back to that second question, right? Which is what yogis thought about bodies, what they think about bodies. These three qualities suggest as well state that we don't have to have this complete connection to drive us. Not, not a complete connection, but we don't have to feel like our body is the end all be all. I'm not saying it right. I'm not sure if I'm making sense, but yeah, no, I gotcha. Yeah. So what, what we could observe is that especially in our modern Western capitalist culture, um, we tend to identify and be identified by how we look, how we think, what we wear, how we talk, and so we very strongly identify with our body and with our thoughts. It's really throughout the yoga tradition, although there's many different iterations and different perspectives on this, but I think it's a, a pretty, pretty strong thread throughout. Yoga says that's not really who you are at your core. Mm. Those things are true. You have a body, you have thoughts, totally true. You wear clothing, you have a personality, you have conditioning, but that who we are at our essence is not our body and is not our thoughts because those things change and there seems to be something pretty yeah. consistent about who I am over you know 42 two years of life there's something that is sandy about me and my body has changed greatly and my my thoughts change constantly and so the yogis are very interested in understanding that our true identity is our consciousness is our soul um, and so if we're always identifying with externals, if we're always identifying with our body shape or size, for example, we will suffer because those things are not steady. And it's only when we can really rest into a quiet place in our heart and, and listen to our soul and see, see who we are underneath our skin 
that we get a really different perspective and that we start to understand ourselves as soul, as consciousness, as this uh, ananda, uh, as being steady and wise and blissful. And I think one of the really beautiful, beautiful things about that is that if I start to understand myself as pure spirit soul, it's much easier to have compassion for myself, to see all of my reactions and thoughts and conditioning play out. And that means it's also much easier to see all others as pure souls, as consciousness, and therefore far easier to have compassion for others. And even beyond that, to feel far more connected to others and to appreciate this, this greater uh, interconnectedness. And so not only do we start to understand ourselves as whole, but we start to understand ourselves as being part of the greater whole. And so there's far less uh, judgment, less comparison, less hate, less and less alone, separateness, right? less, less aloneness. Loneliness. Yes, less, you know, us versus them. So connectedness, compassion, and bodies change, thoughts change, feelings change. And that all shows up in how we meet our clients and patients, too. Mm -hmm. especially yeah. in the work that we do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's where I think, you know, as clinicians, it's hard to, to help clients understand those things if we don't have some methodology and experience of those things ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's quite beautiful, really. Uh, some of the traditions of yoga say that it's through these processes that, that you can actually untie the knots in your heart, that we untie from our entanglement with materiality, that we mm -hmm. untie from our entanglement with external um, sources of, of identity and by being bound by ego. And so, you know, it's beautiful to think about the way that we can find practices that actually untie those knots in our heart. And I think that's incredibly relevant to, to how I think about working with, with individuals and what the healing process looks like. Um, you know, we have a really limited way that we see ourselves and, and especially with diet culture, even more so. Um, and it's, a, it's an extremely limited way of seeing ourselves and our, our body and our thoughts. And so to, to know in some way deep down that we are infinitely more than that. We are infinitely more than our thoughts and than our, than our body. Um, yeah. Great to take care of those things, but, but that's, um, that's not the whole of who we are. We have to take care of our hearts too. Yes. <laughs> I would say that's yoga. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You spend time counseling clients and patients and you also, you also have a teaching practice. And so how do you, as an entrepreneur, I like to ask this question, balance those? That's no pun intended, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's taken me a long time to figure it out. Uh, there's uh, the logistical answer to that is that there's two days a week that I see clients and uh, most of the rest of the days a week, I am teaching yoga and immersed mm -hmm. in yoga. Um, and, you know, I learned to really keep those days separate so my brain can be on one channel or another. Um, undoubtedly, the combination of those things is helpful to me as a provider mm -hmm. um, to be able to, to try to keep my own brains straight uh, and my own heart clear and my own center grounded. 
and so there's certainly a relationship that works really well between those two things. But um, but yeah, they're, they are separate for me. So two days a week, I see clients. The rest of the time, I, I'm pretty much immersed in yoga. Um, and I teach uh, vinyasa classes. I teach workshops, teacher trainings, um, yoga philosophy. Uh, yeah, and I just love that you teach the philosophy. It's not just about the poses kind of going back to the beginning of our conversation. I really truly appreciate your study of yoga in its entirety. You go back to India annually and really continue to learn. Is that the right way to say it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I've been really, really lucky um, that really throughout my time practicing yoga, I've had teachers that really hold the tradition uh, high mm. and set the bar high for me. And so, you know, as a result, what I get to experience is more of the context of the tradition. And that's the part that I find to be um, so powerful uh, and so it makes you want more. It makes you curious for more. Um, and so there's kind of this just, you know, uh, true inspiration, you know, on the journey to, to keep learning more. I do uh, get to, to spend some time in India every fall, which is um, India itself is a great teacher to me. Many of the um, uh, people there are, are teachers to me. Yeah, we just can't separate the the poses from the greater whole from the greater system from the greater context and there's many many ways to do that I wouldn't ever say that there's one right way I have many different teachers that I think are phenomenal um, and some deal with these things more directly than others but uh, but I think what what is helpful is just to know that that there's more and to know that um, you know I for one anyway believe that we have the capacity to understand these things and to go deeper. And that if we're looking for something great to come out of our yoga practice, but we're kind of staying on the surface of it, we're going to get something out of it that's pretty on the surface. But that if we have somebody that can open us up and offer us a window into something much, much deeper, then we get something quite deep and substantive out of it. Um, and so having some of those teachers or people, you know, in your, in your life that you can learn from is, um, uh, just imperative, I think, to to really get it all out. But it's also a way that you show up in every aspect of your life. You know, the introduction to this podcast is about holding, there are words that say holding hope, right, for everyone. Mm -hmm. So hope, but also the possibility and having, I think, as you were speaking to teachers, and you used a plural there, because I think there's more than one mentor. There's more than one view of, of things. I remember asking you when we met and then years into that, you know, into knowing you, you know, it was always amazing to me that you, you loved working at the hospital, right? Mass mm, General. Yeah. And then you took you know, the leap to private practice, what was the cat, like, what was the main catalyst <laughs> to that? <laughs> it's actually a great story. I had been doing uh, some private practice part-time for a couple of years. 
I had at that point been at Mass General for almost 10 years. I was a senior clinician. Um, I loved it. I thought the people there are absolutely brilliant. They care deeply about patients and about what they do. Um, They're inspiring, you know, in every way. But I think I started to feel limited. I started to feel limited by, you know, kind of being within the system, quote unquote. And I started to feel limited by some of the thinking and I started to feel limited by um, the way that I could actually affect change or, or work with individuals. Um, and so, you know, and and to be completely honest and transparent, um, I know your audience will appreciate this. I Part of the reason I wanted to get out of, not Mass General, but part of the reason I wanted to get out of uh, healthcare system was because I saw ways of that that healthcare was being practiced that were not consistent with doing no harm and that were not consistent with the science and the research. Yeah. Some infuriating and, things. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> and yes. And it's not, you know, it's, it's healthcare systems wide. Right. Um, but that was extremely frustrating to me. Um, and so that was another way that I, I kind of felt so, so limited and, and, um, wanted to be able to work in a different way. And it was actually uh, right when I got back from India, the first time I went, this is probably six years ago now, um, I literally walked into the office. It was my first day, you know, back in this country, really. I had shoes on when I walked into MGH and I hadn't worn shoes for most of the couple of <laughs> weeks prior. You know, there was fluorescent lights and all this stuff. And I walked in and I just thought, yeah, no, I'm ready for something different. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to work in a different way. And that was literally when I took my calendar out and set a date and and made the full transition into um, uh, just private practice. Um, I'm still connected to folks at MGH. Um, I send so many patients to specialists there as me- as much as I can because I believe I believe in that hospital. I believe in its values. I believe it, mm-hmm. you know they do great work. I worked there too. I want to let our audience know how they can find you. So if you can say your website and if you're comfortable with it all, also sharing where you you teach. Yeah, of course. Um, so my website is pretty easy. It's sandyclemmer.com. So S-A-N-D-Y-K-L-E-M-M-E-R.com. Um my Instagram is Sandy Clemmer Yoga, um, and it's just yoga on there. I don't have any nutrition social media presence for, for a variety of reasons, but um, can find me there too. And then uh, I'm primarily at Boston Yoga Union, which is mm-hmm. over um, near the Heinz Tea Station, and they've got all levels of yoga class, beginners yoga classes, restorative. Um, I teach a, a pretty intermediate level, intermediate advanced vinyasa, ashtanga style yoga. Um, There's workshops that I teach there and sometimes uh, around New England as well. I've been to Boston Yoga Union and I love the space. I love the feeling when I've been able to go in there. Anything you'd like to share with our listeners beyond we could, I always say this and I really mean it, like we could talk and talk and talk. And you and I had a conversation earlier this week and there was so much that we talked about that, Mm. oh, I want our, I want our listeners to hear this. I want them to hear that. But, and it's, it's a little trite for me to say it like that because this is a vast 
and important and I'm not even using all the right adjectives to describe, you know, the practice. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess um, probably the words I, I guess we could, could leave it on are that um, yoga really starts with exploring my, my connection to my inner self, but that's not the end of the story. Uh, ultimately, yoga is a way of of exploring our our connection to everyone and everything else that's around me, and um, you know it's quieting down to go inside and not to be seeking outside, and that changes our perspective on everything. Um, to me, it's changed my perspective on myself, on how I live my life, uh, on the world um, profoundly. And so, you know, I'll leave you with some words from from one of my great teachers, Ramdas, who said that the most important work we can do is in the privacy of our own heart. I love that. It has been such an honor for me to have you on today. I am very fortunate that I get to keep talking to you and collaborating with you. (laughs) So I hope that our listeners have, I know they have, been able to hear how deeply passionate you are around your practices and that you are a continuous learner. You look for the deep connection. And and that's what I do also see clients receiving from you in their work. And so thank you. Thank you, Rev. And I always love getting to to collaborate with you. And um, yeah, thank you for the kind words. It's honestly, you know, any perspective I've gotten on this on this path has been really by the grace of teachers and and the practice practice itself. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for the NPRD podcast with Robin Kivit. We invite you to subscribe, download, rate and review us and share this valuable podcast with friends and family. Help and hope is found here. For more, just go to robinkivit.com. That's R-O-B-Y-N-K-I-E-V-I-T.com or check out the N-P-R-D.com.